This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. You know how I like to commit without being like, I like to commit while still being noncommittal, but I have to tell you. Have you seen this stupid movie trailer for Cocaine Bear? How they're making it a movie? You know, this whole <laughs> Cocaine Bear thing? Yeah. And you know, I was like, I need to do a mini creep on that. So I'm not like committing myself to a mini creep, but I have to go to Lexington on Sunday uh-huh. and I'm driving myself. But I was like, that's it. I'm going to do detour. I'm going to go see this Cocaine Bear. I'm going to write up a little something. I'm going to bring it to the people. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogab, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. So, this weekend I will be seeing The Cocaine Bear. Oh, exciting. And I will tell you all about it. I'm pretty sure you just committed to that, so. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking, like, is there enough to be a mini creep, even if it's short, but. There's definitely enough so, to be a mini creep. I was thinking of doing it as a um, bonus episode since the movie's coming out, but. Oh, well, if it's better that way, then I don't know. I don't know any, I don't know enough about it, but I was like, it's 40 minutes from me. I need to go see it. I do not know anything about it. I want to hear about it from you on a mini creep. <laughs> I exactly bet you do. how I want to consume that. I do. Oh, that would be great. Uh, Russell, too. Like, as if he has any skin in this game, he's like, when's your next Sammy Sports segment? And I was like, why are you offering to write it? And then I was like, ooh, I sound like Kristen. I was like, go ahead. He's like, because we've watched like several 30 for 30s on ESPN of like some really fun like sports kind of stories. And he was like, well, you have all the stuff. We've watched this one and this one. And I'm like, yeah, if you want to get started on something. And he's like, that's so much pressure. I can't write it. I'm like, no, I'll like work from what you give me but you could at least get started <laughs> like turn this into a family business for sure yeah russell it's not as easy as it looks okay i know but you did so well on that last one i think that should have i honestly regret not having more confidence in you and making it a bonus episode i think that should have been a bonus so mm. cocaine bear is going to be a bonus episode you're writing it love it okay it's not a bonus well listen if you guys want that content come find us on our patreon we have a Patreon and Girl, I already told all the people Cocaine Bear, Sammy Sports segment. <laughs> yeah. Come and get it. Cocaine Bear is going to be an amazing mini creep slash bonus episode slash whatever we make it. But our last bonus episode, our dumbest criminals episode, oh. I laughed so hard. I think I've listened to it like three times. I have laughed so hard every time. It was such a fun episode. So you can get that at the $7 level, plus a sticker and a card with our autographs. Uh, We also have a $5 level. If you just want an extra bonus episode every month, that's perfect for you and a shout out on the podcast. And if you want to bump it up a little bit, we got a $10 level that gets you all of that, plus 20% off merch and also the episodes ad free in a day early. So, or sometimes a day early. Sometimes they eat. Don't commit. Commit without being... Ad free. You get them ad free. And usually I put them up the night before and I just go ahead and, and publish it. So and while we're being noncommittal, <laughs> thanks everyone for hanging in there on the cards and the decals. They are coming to you. Your girl had to prioritize. Listen, I've had I've burned a few bridges at the, my local USPS. So I've now been driving to different post offices. <laughs> my save the dates had to get out. It was a whole thing. So thank you for your patience. They're coming to you soon. Yay. Okay. A big thanks to our sources for this episode. I am really excited about this episode. 
For this one, I used episodes one and two from season one of The Confession Tapes on Netflix, which is a really cool show. These are my confessions. As well as reporting done by The Seattle Times, CBS News, the BBC, Medium, appeals documents, court documents, police reports. As usual, it's all linked in the show notes. Yeah. Good luck. I got something else that's going to make you really happy. No. (laughs) Why do I feel like that is absolutely not true? This is going to be a two parter. (laughs) But I promise. I promise it's worth it. I promise it's worth it. What do you mean it's worth it? No cliffhangers ever. No. Like, we need to. Luckily for the people, it's only a cliffhanger for you because if. Listeners want to listen right now. We do have part two available over on the Patreon right this very minute. If you're listening to this episode, you could go listen to that one. You just go to patreon.com slash creepers. It'll be up on every level if you just can't wait a week. But it will be our regular episode next week. So but what about me? Does anyone care how I've consistently been wrong to your week after week? Is anybody? Is anyone taking notes? Who's no. advocating for me? <laughs> Other than me. No one's going to work as hard for me as me. (laughs) I hate it here. And thank you so much to Mackenzie for recommending this case, which was definitely a wild one. Lots of twists and turns. I'm still not quite sure what I think about it. So. Oh, no. You've set that up with all my least favorite things. Like, you're going to have to link a lot of sources. There's <laughs> going to be a lot of things you're going to have to keep track of and names. And there's probably not a clear, <laughs> like, ending. And because I had to add all these new sources, now our Gmail is going to be, if, if we get one more, like, small town times in our inbox, I'm like, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. <laughs> I know, and I had like, to our- subscribe to the Tampa Bay Times this week. I know, I already unsubscribed. I was they like, wouldn't, listen. They wouldn't let me read this article, and I needed, I thought, a bunch of articles. I but I got to I gotta cancel it. And then these newspapers, they make you call them to cancel. That's how annoying mm-hmm. it is. But I'm like, I got to cancel like, it in 30 I days. I just needed one Because they're article. like, 99 cents for your first month, and then eleven ninety five a month after that. And I was like, that's more than I pay for my Hulu. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Tampa Bay Times. Tampa Bay. Look, all the respect for you, but I just am not reading Tampa Bay Times often enough. So here we go. This is the Raffae family murders. It was July 13th, 1993. Just after 2 a.m., a call came in to 911 from a residence in the Somerset area of Bellevue, Washington. The caller sounded distressed. He was asking for an ambulance. He said there was some type of break-in. It sounded like he was struggling to find the words to describe the situation. Finally, he was able to get out that he thought his friends, mom and dad, were dead. He said he didn't feel safe waiting for police inside the house. He wasn't sure if there was somebody still inside. And he told the dispatcher that they would be waiting outside. He asked them to come fast. Oh, no. The caller was 19-year-old Sebastian Burns, and the friend he mentioned was 18-year-old Atif Rafay. They'd been best friends since they went to high school together in Vancouver, the Canadian one in British Columbia. Yes. Atif had just finished his first year at Cornell in Ithaca, New York, and he'd come back to Vancouver over the summer to visit his friends. His parents and sister had just moved across the border to Bellevue, Washington, in the States, And his mom had been asking him to come visit, so he and Sebastian decided to make the trip to Bellevue, taking a bus from Vancouver, and they'd been there for five days when this happened. The scene the first responders walked in on was just ghastly. There was blood. It had been tracked all over the house. It was in the carpets, on the walls, in the downstairs bathroom. And there were a series of bloody footprints and bloodstains in the garage. On the lower level of the house, they found 56-year-old Sultana Rafay lying face down on the ground with blunt force trauma to her head. This is so terrible. Wait, is this in mm-hmm. the house they like live in? Mm-hmm. You said they all moved? Okay. Yeah, the house they had just names. moved in. I know. The room was devoid of furniture and lined with boxes because the family had recently moved in, and it looked like Sultana had been unpacking when she'd been attacked. In a bedroom upstairs, they found her husband, Tariq, 
also bludgeoned to death. But this looks like overkill. There was blood spatter and brain matter and teeth and tissue (gasps) covering the entire room. I've gotten like better with the spatter, but then you say matter and then I'm like... It's just I know. so terrible. And it's teeth. like so much worse. Oh, okay. I didn't, I blacked out of that. <laughs> in another bedroom upstairs, the one right next to where Tariq had been found, they found the couple's 20-year-old daughter, Basma, moaning in pain. She'd been 20-year-old? bludgeoned. She was 20 years old. She'd been bludgeoned as well, and she was badly injured, and she had so many defensive wounds all up and down her arms and on her hands. She's the only one that had defensive wounds, so she must have been last. She'd fought hard for her life, and she was still alive. However, she wouldn't be able to tell them anything about what had happened. Basma had developmental delays caused by spinal meningitis that she'd gotten when she was a child, and she had been nonverbal ever since childhood. Really? Yeah. She was rushed to the hospital, but she died a few hours later from her injuries. So wait, sorry, she was nonverbal from the meningitis, so she always Mm -hmm. has a... Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And now she's 20, but she died. Okay. Yes. This crime was absolutely unimaginable. The Rafays were a quiet family. They were very religious and kind and just living a typical suburban life. Not the place you'd expect a triple homicide. Tariq and Sultana had both been born in Pakistan, but they'd met in Colorado when they were both at school there. Tariq had become a structural engineer who worked on bridges, and Sultana worked hard to get her doctorate in nutrition. They moved to Canada and became naturalized citizens, raising their two children, Basma and Atif, in West Vancouver. After Basma became disabled, Sultana spent most of her time caring for her. In 1992, after Tariq got laid off from his job in Vancouver, he got a job in Washington, and he moved there on his own. And Sultana stayed behind with the kids, probably so Atif could finish high school in Vancouver. But once he went off to Cornell a year later, Sultana and Basma relocated to Bellevue to be with Tariq. They'd only been in that house about three months before this happened. Investigators, including Detective Bob Thompson, turned to the only witnesses they had left, Atif and Sebastian. Oh, Atif didn't die. No, Atif was with Sebastian when they found the bodies. But Sebastian's who called. Yes, Sebastian called. So Atif was like with him, like just standing mm-hmm. with him somewhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like in shock, I am sure. I imagine. They said that they'd left the house around 8.30 that night in the family car, and they'd gone to a steakhouse called The Keg. After they ate, they walked across the street to the movie theater to see a 9.50 showing of The Lion King, because this <gasps> is 1993. Oh, my gosh. I know. Wow. After the movie, they drove across the Sound into Seattle to go to an all-night diner, and I checked. There are no Waffle Houses in Seattle, so it wasn't that. No, definitely not. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for your doing your due diligence. <laughs> At the diner, they asked about clubs in the area, and after they left, leaving a $6 tip on a $9 bill, they headed to a club in Seattle called The Weathered Wall. And then they returned home around 2 a.m. and Atif found his mom's body downstairs, ran upstairs and found his dad. And he heard his sister in the room right next door to his dad. And that's when Sebastian called 911. Oh, my gosh. Investigators looked into the alibi and it was about as solid as alibis get. There were witnesses at every spot who confidently remembered seeing them there. A waiter at the keg remembered them because they'd ordered a salad and a glass of wine, and they'd had a Canadian ID. A worker at the movie theater remembered one of them was wearing a camo jacket. A waitress at the diner remembered them asking about the clubs, and she remembered the 70% tip. Yeah, but who's asking about the club at the... Right, at the diner. The door guy at the club remembered them because they'd come like 20 minutes before the club closed, and he wouldn't let them in. But detectives weren't certain that... It was all as it appeared. Detective Thompson claims to know what we all know, that people behave differently after a trauma. But still, he took a lot of issues with the behavior of Atif and Sebastian. He said that Atif seemed very nonchalant that his entire family had just been murdered. However, the first responders at the scene noted that both Atif and Sebastian appeared visibly upset, had difficulty talking, 
and at times were incoherent to the point where the officer had had to ask them to calm down. Later, an officer described Atif as subdued and reported that he seemed to be stunned or in shock. It also, but it also seemed odd to Detective Thompson that Atif hadn't checked on his sister, who was still alive at that time. And when they asked him why, he told them he just knew there wasn't anything that he could do for her. He said he doesn't even know how to put on a Band-Aid. Okay, I mean, give yourself more credit. You're you you're going to Cornell, so I sure as shit hope you know how to work a Band-Aid. Right. He told detectives that he'd noticed his disc man was missing from the shelf in his bedroom, as well as a VCR from the living room. And detectives just couldn't imagine a person walking into a house to find their mom, their dad, and their sister slaughtered, and even being in a frame of mind to notice a missing disc man. Which, for okay, those that listening, is weird. I agree. Oh, don't I totally do it. Agree. Don't do it. Don't you dare have to explain what that a is. A disc man was a little portable device used uh, to play CDs. It would constantly that we would listen. skip. <laughs> <laughs> you would take it on the school bus, and you had your mm-hmm. one CD. Mm-hmm. And I would listen to J Lo's, like See, Jenny I from would the take Block it, or whatever, on repeat. I, I would take it when I was walking home from school. And I would literally have to hold it upright, like in my hand, so flat, that it wouldn't flat yeah, very flat, so it wouldn't skip. <laughs> like, when's the last time you heard a song skip? Truly, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Right. Sebastian's behavior that night seemed a bit more understandable to me. He didn't seem to want to talk to detectives. He kept saying he'd already talked to the police, which he had. He'd given them a full statement earlier, and at this point, if what he's saying was true, that. He'd just witnessed a horrific murder scene, and it was really late at night, and he was tired. So that I can understand, him being like, I don't really want to talk to you. Yeah, you're not sleeping, though, after that, right? Well, yeah, but you don't want to talk about it all night either, well, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. you've already gone right. through it, and now you want me to go through it again with you, like... And you probably already feel like if they're asking you to repeat yourself, like, they're trying to trip you up. Like, they're asking you to retell it. Yeah, maybe like that's so. what I would feel like. Like mm-hmm. I've already told you, you're trying to like get me to mess yeah. up here, and I'm like in a state of panic and shock. Yeah. But investigators also thought that Sebastian and Atif displayed this air of superiority that just rubbed them the wrong way. During these interviews, investigators examined both Sebastian and Atif. The boys allowed themselves to be fingerprinted, tested for gunshot residue, and photographed. Atif even gave investigators the password to his computer. There was no blood found on their clothes or their skin. It's like, isn't Atif's fingerprints going to be all over that house, right? Like, is that even... Yeah, but they'd both been staying there for five days. So I think it's more to, like, rule them out in case they find other fingerprints that are not anybody in that family. And that could help them with the investigation. But yeah, finding their fingerprints there doesn't exactly, like... That easily explained away. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. They even used alternative light source tests to see if they could find traces of blood on either of the boys, but there was nothing on them. Police Mm. gathered their clothes as evidence, and at the end of the interviews, they took them to a motel since they couldn't go back to the house since, you know, it's a crime scene. So investigators started looking back at all of the details they had, starting with that 911 call. Sebastian had been the caller, and he'd said that it looked like a burglary. That's what he said on the call. There's been some type of burglary. Not that a murder had happened. He said there'd been some type of break-in. But as they examined... And he'd already the- seen the bodies? He'd mm-hmm. already seen the bodies at that mm-hmm. point? Oh. I don't know what all he saw versus what Atif saw, if they were both running around the house in this story. I'm not really sure, but he knew that they were dead. Mm-hmm. But honestly... If you listen to the 911 call, it sounds like he's really struggling to find the words to describe what he needs help with. You listen to all this audio when there's like videos and audio. Mm-hmm. You listen to it, don't you? Does it like keep mm-hmm. you up at night? Mm-mm. No. There's only been, I th- no, what keeps me up at night is Apple not posting our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Insert better help ad here for Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it it doesn't keep me up at night. Sometimes I get I feel very sad about yeah. it, but I don't like it doesn't like stress me out or give me anxiety. Yeah. It's like the audio I think is hard. Like I don't think I could do that part. Mhm. 
Yeah. Instead, it's just like your voice, your audio just constantly plays in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) So then as investigators examined the house, they saw that there were signs, like the crime scene, they saw that there were signs of a staged burglary. It looked, everything looked staged. For example, there were all these boxes of legal folders in the room that Sebastian had been sleeping in that were now just tossed all over the place. And it seemed to investigators like someone was trying to make it look like someone had rifled through all the folders, like all the boxes looking for something or taking mm-hmm. things. But really, none of the folders had been searched or gone through. They, the boxes had just been like dumped over. Dumped over, yeah. In other rooms, drawers had been opened, things were tipped over, but nothing important seemed to be missing, apart from the VCR and the disc man. And on top of that, there were no signs of forced entry. Has your house ever been robbed? No. Burglarized before? Mm -mm. It is very like. Has yours? Yeah. When When were you robbed besides the purse guy in the dorms? Oh, in the dorms. No, my house got broken into and like. Oh, God. Like truly ransacked when I was in elementary, I think. Yeah, I was in elementary. But I mean, it's almost like you can't. I mean, obviously I was a kid, so none of this stuff was like, felt like mine, you know, but like. I remember walking in and not even really remembering, like, what it looked like before. Almost. Like, you kind of, like, because it's just so, I don't know. It's, like, ransacked. I just feel like, I just would feel so violated, like, thinking about Mm -hmm. somebody going through my stuff. Ugh. Yeah, it would be terrible. I told you what happened when I lived in Houston, I remember, with my cousin, and that they... Oh, God, yeah. Remember, I was home during the day. It was the summer, and I was home, and they broke in during the day and it was right before their wedding and they stole their wedding gifts yeah that's terrible it was like weeks before her wedding and it was like just like a year after you moved out or something no it was like right oh yeah yeah it was like a couple eight Mm. months before yeah i was like i would have been home during that yeah it's terrifying Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. 
pros.com slash creepers. One thing investigators found that was pretty eye-opening was found in the bathroom. They used luminol in the shower. And remember, mm. luminol is the chemical that yeah. reacts with blood. And when they sprayed it all over the shower, it lit up like a freaking Christmas tree in there. It looked as mm. if someone who had been covered in blood jumped in the shower and washed oh. it all off of them. Which might explain why the boys were totally clean. Would it show if you cleaned the shower, like, mm -hmm. not like just rinsed it, like bleached? I don't know. I like, think like so. Really? I think because you can it's like bleach a floor there. and they'll, it'll still, still show shows. up. Mm -hmm. They also found 22 hairs in the shower, which they took to mean as being from the last person that showered. And those hairs all belonged to Sebastian, which did a lot for them. It doesn't do anything for me because he had been staying there for five days. So finding his hairs in the shower just doesn't really. Yeah, but let me tell you, someone that sheds immensely in the shower, if women were staying, like, was the sister using that shower too? I don't know. Because that, that tells me he showered, like, he was the last person to shower. So even though he lived there, like, you're telling me... Maybe, because they were, like, going and doing things that day. I don't know. But I'm leaving way more than 22 hairs behind. Let me just tell you that. I do that daily. <laughs> per shower, I'm leaving no less than 50. And I can't clean them out, so. Yeah. So, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe that does mean something. Sebastian and Atif were kept at that motel that they had been sequestered at for three days, while the police questioned them basically whenever they wanted without lawyers. One of those interviews took place at the motel and was videotaped. Sebastian's dad, Dave Burns, he wanted to pick them up and take them back to Canada, but Sebastian told him they weren't allowed to leave without letting the police know. In actuality, there was nothing the police could do at that time to stop them from going back to Canada. They were huh. totally free to do that. They weren't under arrest. There weren't charges. So Sebastian's mom actually called the Canadian consulate to ask for help in getting Sebastian and Atif back to their home in Vancouver. And someone from the consulate called the Bellevue police to get permission to take them back. And a lieutenant told this consulate employee that the boys were not suspects and that they were free to go. Hmm. So uh, while they were waiting for this to kind of, you know, work itself out, the boys stuck around for a few days in the motel, passing the time by running movies and watching them in their motel room. Something else investigators thought was really weird, and I don't really get that. They're like, the day after the murders, they rented a movie and watched it in their motel room. And I'm like, is it weird that you'd want to watch a movie the day after something terrible happens? Like, what else are you supposed to do? Well, I kind of thought that at first, too. Like, okay, but it, I'm also freaking like, it's a 94. So you're not like scroll 93. You're not scrolling on your phone. You're not mm -mm. texting all your friends. You're not like... And you're not you're not going anywhere. You're not allowed like you're not going and spending time right. with your family, you know, like so yeah. what else are you supposed to do? I don't know. So you're either renting Lion King again or you're like writing in your journal. You know what I mean? Like right. I would think that's kind of weird if there was more options, but I don't know. I mean, what else are you doing other than grieving if you're grieving? Yeah. Right. But you're not allowed to, like, watch a movie without looking suspicious. I don't know. That just seems... They also don't know how you're watching the movie. Like, is it just on in the background and you're kind of, like, glazed over, like, what just happened? It's not like, they popped popcorn and made a Sunday bar and we're, like, laughing watching this comedy. Like, all we know is that they rented the movie. Like, what was the movie? It was a kung fu movie. I don't know. I kind of feel like they did it, but... <laughs> well, yeah. I literally went through this whole thing. I, I literally went through this whole thing and was like... I thought they did it, too. I, I definitely thought they did it. And then I was like, I'm not sure. Maybe they didn't do it. And then I was like, no, they did it. And I was like, oh, maybe they didn't. I honestly, I don't know. I don't know what I think right now. Anyways, three days after the murders, Ateev and Sebastian caught a greyhound and went back to Vancouver, British Columbia. The Canadian consulate had let the Bellevue police know in advance about this trip, but apparently no one had told Detective Thompson. He showed up at the motel one day and the boys were just gone and it looked to investigators like they basically fled the country. And that's what was reported to the media. Newspapers started reporting that they <sighs> were wanted in the U.S. for a triple murder. They reported that Atif had fled the country. 
And when the funeral was held and he wasn't there, they made note of that as well. Wait, what? So basically what happened there was, a was funeral? the day that the boys got back to Vancouver, this is the way that the Burns, Sebastian's family, and Atif tell the story. The day they got back to Vancouver, they turned on the news and there was coverage of the funeral. And they had no idea that the funeral was going to be happening then. Well, who planned it? Atif's family. So he'd given the police all of his like family's contact information, like and ways to get in touch with them, their employers, their names, like phone numbers. But he didn't have any way of contacting them. He didn't have a phone at the motel. He didn't have a cell phone. And so they all arrived. And nobody told Atif. And the detectives Wait, didn't tell him when the funeral was. where? To Bellevue. Okay. No. 100% guilty. You mean to tell me that when you say family, like not mm-hmm. the murdered family members, but like mm-hmm. aunts, uncles, extended mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. in a culture where family is number one always, mm-hmm. they planned a funeral mm-hmm. and didn't tell the only remaining child. The one. You're telling me that's what happened? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, <laughs> guilty. That is that is asinine. That's the wildest thing yeah. I've ever heard on on epi- what is this episode one hundred and eleven? That's the wildest thing I've ever heard. Well, and that's what the detectives were saying because they were like the Rafay family were practicing Muslims, and like this is me, not a Muslim, saying this. I did try to research this as much as I could, but correct me if I'm wrong on these practices. But according to literally every single source I read when I Googled Islamic or Muslim burial practices, it is customary to start the burial process as soon as possible, typically within 24 hours and generally no more than three days. Family members and community members are responsible for cleansing the bodies. Like they have all these rituals that they Mm -hmm. have to do before the funeral. They have to cleanse the bodies, several other rituals. So for Atif to say that he had no idea the funeral would be held so soon, just did not seem right to investigators. Atif, get out of here. And also, I've been to funerals of people I've never even met in real life. And you mean to tell me you're not going to your own families? And like, why hadn't he at least reached out to ask, you know? Yeah, wouldn't you be involved in like, I, I get it, you're not going to plan it as like the person that experiences tragedy and being like, how old is he, 19? Like, I understand that it does not fall on you to maybe plan out but you're ma- you have to make some decisions. Like, I don't know. That's so the thing is, like, he says that, first of all, he thought that this funeral would take longer because he thought that the bodies would remain in police custody because of the murder investigation. And it had only been three days after. He says that he had no way of contacting his family, that he gave what all of the mean? contact. What does that mean? He didn't have access to a phone. They were, like, being sequestered in this motel, apparently. He didn't have access right, to a phone. But like, All he had access to were the detectives who said that they would call his family for him, and they did, but then didn't tell him that they called them. I don't know if the family was trying to get in touch with him. I don't know anything about that. But according to Atif, he had no idea that they were even in town, let alone planning you, this listen, funeral. Listen, you can stop this episode right here, right now, because your girl... <laughs> I also think it's important to remember this is an 18-year-old kid we're talking about. You know, I mean, technically legally an adult, but anyone I've been to like 10 funerals by then. Anytime. Okay, I know how they work. Yeah, but you weren't being like held up in a motel room by detectives after witnessing a triple murder. Yeah, I mean, that does complicate things. <laughs> and like... You know, anyone who's spent any time with an 18-year-old like I have been recently knows that they don't know what the hell is going on ever, but they think they do. And I I also want to point out, I legitimately do not know where I stand with this case. I'm, I'm really just trying to present all of the information here and look at both sides. And to me, like, everything is explained with explanations that I find plausible. Like, I find it plausible that this 18-year-old kid had no idea that this funeral planning was going on when he, like, is stuck at this motel that the police are putting him up at. Okay, well, don't put it on the 18-year-old, but, like, you don't think any aunt, uncle, 
sister-in-law, but like you don't think they didn't anyone know what, was yeah, like. They were in contact with the police and the police was like not passing on the messages is what Atif is saying. He said, and, and Sebastian's mom, because when they got back to Sebastian's house, the, they turned the news on to see the funeral coverage. And Sebastian's mom said that he was so upset that he was missing the funeral, that they had done this without him, that he like lunged at the TV and was like crying and like screaming. Like he was visibly upset about it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you're definitely holding a second one. <laughs> you're like, excuse me. I don't know. know. I feel very... Mm -hmm. I understand that's what Sebastian's mom is saying, but this is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Something is fishy. Mm -hmm. You heard it here first. Yeah. And so after Sebastian and Atif went back to Canada, I'm not really sure investigators ever looked in any other direction. And they actually did have other directions to look in. In the days following the murders, tips started coming in about these murders. And I don't mean random people calling in tips. I mean tips from other law enforcement agencies. One from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which is basically like the federal agency of Canada. And they're on horses. Yes. One from the FBI and one from the okay. intelligence division of the Seattle police. All indicating that these murders were religious executions. And not one of these tips were investigated. So let me tell you about these. Constable Galinas with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, he said that he'd had a confidential informant tell him that two days before the murder, mm. he heard about a man who had been offered a $20,000 hit to kill an East Indian family that had recently moved from Vancouver, Canada to Bellevue, Washington. Why is he reporting this two days after? Well, that, I don't know. <laughs> maybe he didn't think the tip was real until later i don't know yeah i mean it does sound weird yeah without like if you hear that without knowing this happened mm -hmm. then the fbi called to say that one of their informants had said that a militant islamic faction had been threatening dr Tariq rafay atif's dad so the story behind that is that Tariq had found himself at the center of this major controversy when he claimed to have discovered that True East, which is the direction Muslims face when they pray, which is called the Qibla, it was about two degrees off, one and a half, one to one and a half to two degrees off from what they all oh, thought. Oh, Tariq, you and keep he, that to yourself, right? He, like, he you published. Don't well, I mean, if it's true, that would be so important he thinks right. to to know and to share like hey we need to shift but it's like shift. it's not just a matter of like like shifting a prayer mat mosques are built to face true east mm -hmm. and so it, it's a big deal this was a huge problem especially in the eyes of these fundamentalist extreme extremist groups yeah two degrees you said yeah, one to some one source said one to one and a half, and another source said two. So somewhere between one and two degrees off. Mm -hmm. How did he figure that? It's like a formula. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of math. Tariq was also the founder of the Canadian Pakistan Friendship Organization, which promoted multiculturalism and bridge building between ethnic communities. Tariq had given a few speeches and lectures about Islam in the Western context. And it was a more liberal view of Islam than the more conservative groups, especially the extremist groups, liked. And apparently, this also angered a lot of people. Bad people. So bad that eight years later, eight years after this, this guy, Rasat Ali Khan, who had co-founded the Canadian-Pakistan Friendship Organization with Tariq Rafay, he was murdered in Vancouver. And his murder went unsolved. Oh, no. I went really hard on Atif. Now I'm feeling. <laughs> so did I. Okay, but like, I don't know. He also has that same information. I am not ready to have this conversation because I feel the exact same way, but hold on. Okay. This <laughs> FBI informant also said that several days after the murders, a member of this militant Islamic faction came to his house and he saw a baseball bat in this guy's trunk, which this informant thought because of this guy's behavior 
that this bat could have been the murder weapon of the Rafay family. At that time, yeah. no one, at the time they're getting these tips, okay, at the time that this guy is saying this, no one, including investigators, knew that the Rafays had been killed by a baseball bat. Months later, investigators would use sound recreations to determine that the murder weapon was a baseball bat based on sound recreations, sound recreations based on noises that the neighbor heard. But also they were able to like fit the baseball bat into damage done to the walls and that kind of thing. Like they could see that makes more sense. Yeah, to me. it was I definitely was a baseball when bat. You- when you said the sound recreation, I was like, oh, yeah, whatever, like, the mm-hmm. Amazon Alexa heard. And then I remembered we were in the 90s. And <laughs> Right. It was neighbors, that, I always yeah. think about that. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is just constant recording. But you think neighbors could hear a baseball bat? That's what they said. I don't know. That's hmm. what they said. But they were able to determine that it was definitely a baseball bat that they were killed with. A bat that was never found, probably because it's in this guy's trunk. And this informant gave names. He gave addresses. He gave employers names. He gave phone numbers. He even gave photographs of these guys to police, of the person that he said had ordered the hit, as well as of the two people that had actually committed the murders that he said. And that information was never used. And this is coming from, this is, these are confidential informants vetted by the FBI, the Canadian Royal Mounties, and the intelligence division of the Seattle police. So these are not just your random guy off the street with information. These are investigative agencies. calling in a tip line for a reward. And they ignored these. And then, then we haven't even gotten to the Seattle police. The intelligence division of the Seattle police called up Bellevue police and told them that an organization called Alfucra might have been involved in the murders. And just so happens, Al-Fukra is a U.S.-based militant Islamic orga- faction, a terrorist organization. And there were also things at the crime scene to indicate that this was a hit carried out by Islamic extremists. Sultana's body was found with her head covered by a shawl, and her body was on the floor straight out facing east. Mm. But like I said, none of these leads were pursued. The district attorney, Kona, said that it was, quote, inconceivable to him that someone would come in and beat the brains out of three people over one man's belief that true East was one and a half degrees off on a compass. It was much more conceivable to him that two teenagers would beat the brains out of three of their family members for what they think is for some money for like life insurance. But it was also 1994, and this is in a pre-9-11 world. It might really have yeah. seemed inconceivable to them, whereas today it's much more plausible. And yeah. I thought this was super far-fetched when I read it too, okay? When I was first looking into this, I was even texting with my best friend Leslie because I wanted to get her thoughts on this. I like sent her this article and I was like, I need to know what you think. And I just started looking into it and I was like, oh, their compelling alternative suspect is literally terrorism. <laughs> I was I literally wrote that feels like a stretch to me and she's like WTF and I'm like yeah this is ridiculous they definitely did it but then when I got the details on why their alternative suspect was a terrorist right. organization I was like oh and how it came from three different agencies all saying yeah. like the same information that all fit together in the same in this same story I was like in the context of pre 9-11 like you don't think mm-hmm. about it and then you're like Wait a second, though. Like, that wasn't at the forefront. That wasn't, I I mean, that wasn't something that we were like, oh, terrorism, you know. But I also feel like this should have been looked into. And, like, I'll give them a little bit of credit. They did go up and knock on this guy's door, which I even think was out of town. I think they had to travel to knock on this guy's door. And he wasn't home, so they left. And, like, never tried to contact him again or, like, looked into it again. Yeah. Because they were so certain that it was Sebastian and Atif. And I get that there are things that I was like, oh, yeah, they did it. Oh, yeah. He didn't check on his sister. They found blood all over the shower. I never thought that. I'm, no. (laughs) (laughs) You're alone in that. Someone's backtracking. Back it up. I don't know, though. I know. I don't feel confident enough to be like. I really was certain that they did it. I was certain they did it. When I just kind of like looked Walkman at like the Walkman and the Yeah, why are you else? noticing that a Walkman is missing and a VCR? Like that's what you notice? I don't Yeah. I don't know. Is that like where you hid your drug stash? I don't know. I just feel like there's 
like more of a reason for that? Yeah, I don't know. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. Also, according to a 1998 U.S. State Department report, these extremist terrorist groups have attacked many different people that they viewed as enemies of Islam, including Muslims that they regard as heretics, and including an East Indian family living in Washington 10 years before these murders. And that family was close friends with the president of Alpha Engineering, which was the same firm that Tariq worked for when he was murdered. And it would also fit that Tariq suffered the most brutal of the attacks because he was their mm-hmm. actual target, the right, person that all their anger was geared toward, and the, the others were just unfortunately there. Who knows if this so series... So really, we think Atif and Sebastian would have been killed had they been home. Like that, it's just That's exactly that my next out. line, yes. That if this theory is right and Sebastian and Atif had been home that night like they had been home every other night, maybe they would have been dead too. Or maybe they did it. I don't know. (laughs) Detective Thompson basically said he wasn't interested in following this lead, this terrorist organization lead, because he wanted to follow the evidence. Mocap. Which he said. Like, you got to follow everything. It's not up to you to pick and choose. And he said that the evidence would lead him to the real killers. But the forensic and physical evidence did not lead him to Sebastian and Atif. They actually pointed away from Sebastian and Atif. It didn't point to any other specific person, but there were a couple of items of DNA evidence, like a hair in Dr. Raffae's room that didn't belong to any of the Raffae's or Sebastian. And there were also blood stains in the house mixed with Tariq Raffae's blood that did not match any of them. That is helpful information that you could have shared way earlier. (laughs) Well, you were like specifically all when about I was. Your <laughs> I know specifically when you were allowing me. To no, I loved just... it though because that was exactly my reaction. Was oh they did it? Oh they did yeah, it? Yeah, but oh, let me tell the you the difference. Oh, he ran to, Flo- to to Vancouver. Oh, he. What's the difference? <laughs> yeah, but here's the difference. You get to have that privately, okay? <laughs> Here right. I am, but I'm admitting now. I'm, I'm admitting a- that that was my journey. I'm not trying to hide my yeah. journey. That I, totally Come for both of us. Totally, Come for both that of us, was right. my reaction. Leslie thought they did it too. Okay, I'm gonna call her out. She was like, "Oh, they definitely <laughs> did it." <laughs> start, yeah. I'm I like, know. they had. She's like, they had to have been involved. I'm like, I totally agree. Like, they had to have been. And then I start looking into it to this, and I'm like, 10 o'clock Lion King? Uh, Come on. Right. That was my thing. I was like, 10 o'clock Lion King? Why are they going to the Lion King at 10 o'clock? That sounds fake. I was like, that sounds And then the no funeral, that to me is still bizarre. And a movie is easy to leave. Like, it's easy to be seen at a movie. And then the detectives were like, they purposely made sure that they stood out at every single place. 
They left a well, big tip. Well, that's what tip. I thought when you were like mm-hmm. the Canadian IG, mm-hmm. the not getting into. But that's all things that like mm-hmm. could happen on just like yeah. a normal day too. Like, yeah. But I'm like, a movie could be easy to leave. It's The Lion King. Why are you going to see The Lion King at 10 o'clock at night? Like your 18-year-old boys. I don't know. I wasn't around in 1993, but that doesn't seem like the oh, big movie around, I want to see. Okay. I wasn't 18 in 1990. I was, yes. I, know, I was don't definitely. Like you weren't born yet. I definitely saw The Lion King in theaters, but I, I saw it twice on the same. No, that was Toy oh. Story. I saw it twice on the same day. <laughs> Mufasa really did it for me. I couldn't, couldn't do that one. Okay. Well, that's why I was having a moment where I was like, no, because I specifically remember that scene sticking out to me because I was like, oh, my dad had just died in that scene. Like, but it was actually the parent trap that I'm thinking of. I saw Mm. in theaters right after. Anyways, the funeral, though, Mm -hmm. to me, could that be the police really thinking it's them and really only wanting to follow them as suspects and basically saying creating that situation themselves right even if they didn't like even if they were unknowingly creating the situation they still are thinking Mm -hmm. these guys are the the biggest suspects and they are so out of like a even i'm giving them a lot of credit here but even like a subconscious bias they Mm -hmm. are not telling them this information to hurt them to hurt a teeth I don't know. I'm going to need some <laughs> answers at the end of this. Or did Atif just not care? And and I'll tell you like, well, I'll tell you at the end. Okay. Unless you tell me who did it at the end, I'm not interested. Well, there's it. There's your suspects. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I got for you for suspects. Also, investigators had evidence about when this murder occurred. Neighbors heard the murder happening, like neighbors on both sides. And they interviewed both neighbors separately, independently of each other. And both of them said that they heard it happening between 9 and 9.35, which was when Sebastian and Atif were having a salad and wine at the keg before the 9.50 showing across the street at the Lion King. Like they were definitely at the theater at 9.50. So if the murder had happened at like 10.30 or 11, then I would be like, yeah, they totally could have done it. But... It was between 9 and 9.35. And I get ear witnesses are not the most reliable. They could definitely be wrong. But for both of them to say the same time frame, Mm -hmm. I'm like, "Mm." and they said that between 9 and 9.35 and that it was definitely over by 10.15. Like, absolutely, they knew it was over by 10.15, which was 20 minutes after The Lion King started. All these activities just feel suspicious to me, like Lion King late. And then didn't you say this was a diner? But they're having salad and wine. No, they went to a steakhouse before the movie that was like oh. across the street from the theater. And then they went to the theater okay. for the movie. And then they went up into Seattle to go get like a after the movie bite to eat and okay, find out about the clubs in Seattle. But because I was like, what salad and wine costs six or nine dollars? And also what 18 year old boy is watching Lion King and drinking wine with a salad at a steak well that's what detective said too who orders a salad and wine he's like i think that they ordered the wine just so they'd have to show their id but i'm like they were 18 and i checked the drinking age in washington yeah it was it's always been 21 like there are some states that have gone back and forth but it's always been 21 but weren't they in vancouver at this point no they're in seattle and bellevue washington so that's where the murder happened was in bellevue washington Yeah, yeah, yeah And so I looked it up and it's, it was 21. So I don't know what ID they're showing. I don't know if they had a fake ID. I don't know. It's but like fake ID. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. But the investigator was like. But like you're like, going to risk it with a salad and wine at a steakhouse? You're going to whip out your fake ID for, for a glass of wine? So well, and the investigator was like, I think they ordered the salad and wine so they'd have to show a Canadian ID because that would stand out, you know, to somebody. I hope it was a weak ass Caesar salad because no salad <laughs> is worse than a Caesar salad. Oh, I like a I like a Caesar salad. I know you do. So does Russell. I'm like, it's literally just lettuce and Parmesan cheese. That's it. And croutons. Yeah, every salad should have croutons. Yeah, but not every salad does. But every Caesar salad does. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how Kristen sees it. <laughs> but Detective Thompson was certain that the evidence from the shower proved that the boys killed their parents and then showered off afterwards since Sebastian's hairs were found in the shower. 
They also found the boys' underwear in the washing machine that had already been washed that they thought was weird. That was the only thing that was in the washing machine, which, granted, is really strange. But they had the underwear analyzed and nothing came back on them. So, like, I don't know about this underwear in the washing machine. Some boys are gross. Which meant that there was basically no physical or forensic evidence tying the boys to the murder, despite the fact that physical and forensic evidence had been collected, but investigators were certain that they were involved. So they started digging into Atif and Sebastian's backgrounds, and they picked out anything that seemed suspicious. Atif and Sebastian were clearly both very intelligent, the kind that knew that they were very intelligent. Sebastian grew up playing classical cello before becoming a member of the Royal Canadian Air Cadets and given an award by Prince Edward. Atif, of course, attended Cornell University, which is one of the Ivies. But man can't work a Band-Aid. But man can't work a Band-Aid. Investigators were looking for anything in their past that might hint that they were even capable of doing something like this. Oh, wait, I forgot that when he made the Band-Aid comment, like he Mm -hmm. didn't think about his sister, Mm -hmm. like you don't want your... Mm-hmm. I don't know, though. I mean, brother and sister relationships be hard, though. Well, and I'm sure they weren't close because she was disabled. Yeah. Investigators were looking for anything in their past that might hint that they would have even been capable of doing something like this. And I mean, they were literally looking through their high school yearbook for dirt on these boys. That's other job I want. And <laughs> Yeah. And by doing so, they discovered that Sebastian had performed in a play in high school called Rope that was based on the Leopold and Loeb murders from 1929. And I know you're not familiar with Leopold and Loeb. So the too long didn't read version of that is Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb were two wealthy students at the University of Chicago in 1924. And they kidnapped and murdered 14 year old Bobby Franks. And they did it to prove that they could carry out the perfect crime because of their superior intellect. Hmm. So, well, it doesn't sound like they did because we know about it today. Correct. They were found because of like eyeglasses, actually. It was actually really cool how they <laughs> found them in 1924 or whatever they were caught. But anyway, Rope was a play written in 1929 based on these murders. It wasn't written like by Sebastian. It was written by some other guy in 1929. And it was about two young university students who murdered another student as an expression of their intellectual superiority. And throughout the play... The two students are holding a party with the food being served on a locked trunk that contains the corpse of the student that they had just murdered. They also didn't select that play. Like, I'm sure their teacher, like, they were in the play. They didn't. Right. And, you know, there are a lot of parallels drawn between Sebastian and Atif and the characters in Rope. Sebastian played one of the murderers. And also, reportedly, during production of the play, he convinced them to change the murder weapon from a rope to a baseball bat, which seems weird. Oh, they did it. Step back. Step back again. They did it. Also, like the characters, Sebastian and Atif were both gifted intellectually, and they really liked people to know it. At least this is how they were characterized by teachers and other students at the time. I did not know them. But they met because in high school, they both enrolled in the rigorous international baccalaureate program at their school. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that Sebastian dropped out of the program before graduation, but Atif remained in. And they liked to debate philosophy and they would bring up, they were the type that liked to bring up Nietzsche, Nietzsche, Nietzsche. I took one philosophy class in college, so Google tells me that Nietzsche's philosophy revolved around whether or not there was any meaning to holding values and what that significance was to human existence. Wait, is that up for debate? Like, people are debating whether or not that's... It was like a philosophy that he was, like, thinking about. I guess philosophers just sit around and think, right? So he's not, like, researching. Yeah, but, like, how is that... Yeah, of course it does. Well, I think that anything involved with human existence like needs to be examined and taken a closer look at and look at why. Like, why does holding values, why is there meaning to holding values? Does that give us meaning? Is that like our source of meaning? It was all about freedom of thought. And Atif would argue that laws and morality were just convention. And he even wrote an essay about how the lack of an absolute moral code in our society leads to a desire to be seen as better than others. 
Like having this value system gives you a platform to look down on others that don't hold the same values. Yeah, that's true. Sebastian and Atif are often described as having a superiority complex and they would often mock their peers. They were the type that would use the word plebe non-ironically to describe their peers. Atif's yearbook quote was, quote, Hearing the cries of the plebes below, Atif descended through the clouds, casting aside the hollow illusions of his peers. He gazed bemusedly at the petty struggles of those around him and began to laugh. Oh, I'm so out on him. (laughs) Does that make him a murderer? No. Would I hang out with him by choice? No. Yeah. But I do feel, you know, it's like hard because we like laugh and we're like, who did it? Yes, no. But it's like there were three really innocent people murdered. And that's really, really terrible. Well, and I also think we're also laughing at the way that these boys are described. And we're taking these like two things that we know about them and like casting an entire personality based around that. And I don't think that they really were these. (laughs) That's what we do. Superiority complex people. I And I'll get into it later, but maybe I'll just say it now. When Sebastian speaks, he has a pitch and a pattern of speech that does seem pretentious, like pretentious as hell. And I truly think it is just the way he speaks because his father was interviewed in the confession tapes and he has a very similar type of demeanor. But you can just tell that his father is a very caring, compassionate person. But he still is coming across like he still just has this kind of way of speaking that is like hoity-toity high and mighty. I think it's because his dad is British. I think it's I think they're just British. I don't think they really have this like superiority complex. I think they're just misunderstood Brits. And then he went to Cornell. No, that's a teeth. A teeth went to Cornell. No, well, yeah, but Sebastian I just like actually dropped out of the baccalaureate program. I think he went to like a local college, actually. But yeah. But then soon, police found a motive. There mm-hmm. were three life insurance policies that all to- that totaled to be around five hundred thousand dollars. Nah. Atif cashed in on the policies pretty quickly, despite detectives from Bellevue trying to let the insurance companies know that he was being investigated for the murder. The insurance companies said that unless he was charged with the murder, they were paying the policy out. So Atif bought a Mustang convertible and he and Sebastian went on a road trip. And later he would rent a house that Sebastian would move into with him. And along with another friend of theirs named Jimmy Mayoshi. Now, at this time, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, who are basically Canada's FBI, they decided that they should begin their own investigation into the boys since they are suspected of this murder and they're now living in Canada. And so they wiretapped the house the boys were living in, and it didn't take long for them to figure out that these were really smart kids and they weren't going to catch them with your regular everyday police tactics. Especially since in the thousands of hours of audio tape, the kids never even once mentioned this murder. Oh, yeah. They bugged their their whole where they were staying. Their house. So Atif had uh, rented this house with the money that he got from the life insurance. With Sebastian. And Sebastian was, was living there with him. And then their friend Jimmy Mayoshi moved in as well. So they wouldn't be able to catch them with your regular police tactics. So investigators decided to bring in Mr. Big. Excuse me? (laughs) Mr. Big. Not the Mr. Big from Sex and the City. This is different. Is it the Mr. Big that was a regular at the Waffle House in Seabrook? Because he knows who he is, too. The Mr. Big technique is a police tactic that was created in Canada. It involves basically creating a whole underground world all built on undercover agents. As many as 50 agents get involved in these operations, all to try and solicit a confession out of suspects, usually in homicides that have gone cold and they don't have like they have a suspect, but they don't have any evidence on the suspect. This is like their last ditch effort to try and solve the murder. Mm -hmm. Agent Doug from McMillions would have loved to be a part of a Mr. Big <laughs> I operation. I was just thinking of him <laughs> and his gold suit. But it is so controversial that both the UK and the US have banned it. It is oh. illegal here 
We have standards? <laughs> exactly. A country that is still using the read technique to get confessions out of suspects that has resulted in so many false confessions. Even we have determined that the Mr. Big technique is too problematic. And that is where we're going to end part one of the Rafay family murders. <laughs> no, that's you. That's where you're ending it. That's your choice that you made independently. <laughs> Uh, we all make choices, and this was my choice. Part and yours two, have been poor lately, <laughs> honestly. I'm so sorry, but part two will be next week's episode, or you can jump over to the Patreon right now and get it a week early. I cannot wait to get into all this stuff with you next week. It's gonna—it's so good. I can't well, wait. What if I'm not interested? You are interested. <laughs> I you know, know you, I'm dying to end know. it there. No. <laughs> <sighs> Your your um, psychological moves won't work. Your reverse psychology is <laughs> yeah. not working on me. My mental warfare <laughs> over here. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for... <laughs> Wait, do you remember what I thought you were thinking me? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I just listened to that and I was like, this is so embarrassing. I truly thought you were telling me thank you. I want to thank me. I want to thank me for all my hard work. (laughs) And I want to thank the people for listening. Uh, If you want to support the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at Creepers Pod. We have our Facebook discussion group, the True Crime Creepers Facebook discussion group. Please come join us over there. It's so much fun. We are also sometimes on Twitter, but my God, have we been slacking on the Twitter machine? (laughs) Oh, Um, okay. And you can find us on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash truecrimecreepers. And be sure to subscribe because you'll know exactly when part two of the Rafay family murders will drop next week. Bye, peeps and creeps. <laughs>